I've been waiting for this moment. <laughs> See where it goes. I love that. I know, I just thought it would be funny to just sit there. <laughs> Potentially useful. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to another potentially useful episode of the TCAP Sloop Podcast. My name is Larry Burden, and this episode may actually be all about her. It's Danielle Brostrom. Today, we embark on an ambitious mission to bridge the digital design divide. Part two of our NetPeace series aims to dismantle barriers and explore the implications and envisioning a future where every educator, regardless of circumstance, has equitable access to tools and resources they need to embody this week's TCAP Sloop moment of zen. The secret of all victory lies in the organization of the non-obvious. Marcus Aurelius. Let that one stew for a little bit. So, Danielle, let me start with this. What is the digital design divide and why are you the solution? <laughs> well, Larry, that's that's a lot that you just put on my shoulders, my friend. The digital design divide is the second part of our triangle. So if we're talking about the triangle of the NetP, the National Educational Technology Plan from the Department of Ed, the first one we talked about last week was... Oh, can I call you out a little bit? Yes. So you're like, nobody calls it the NetP. They call it the NetP. <laughs> we started a trend. I stole it We from them. started it. No, we started it. It was kind of written in there. They say uh, NetP right in the thing. But they, did they say it like NetP? Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. So last week we talked about the first part of the net P. So I actually, actually I want to have now I'm envisioning all it. these high level educators <laughs> and politicians sitting in the room and being like net P in the house. <laughs> I love it. Um, last week we talked about how the tasks that are being done on the technology can cause a divide between the haves and have-nots. This week we're going to talk about the educator. So that design divide, the skills of that educator and their ability to design tasks with technology and how that can lead to a divide between the haves and have-nots. This is kind of a new one. We We talk a lot about the the tasks that we're designing on. And we talk a lot about what we're going to talk about next week, which is kind of access and devices and broadband and other things. But we talk a lot about those too. But this is kind of a new consideration. And this is about like school culture, professional learning, ed tech. The design divide is between and within those systems that provide every educator, not just some, not just the ones that happen to attend, but every educator the time and support they need to build their capacity with digital tools and those that do not. So you can see how with some of the others, we have a socioeconomic status, and that's usually the predictor, right, between the haves and have-nots. But this one, that's just not true here. If you don't have a really solid vision for your professional learning and your supports with technology and sustained support then that design using ed tech can vary completely, even within a school district or even within a school. It can vary greatly from one classroom to the next. So those systems are really, really important, and that's what we're going to talk about today. I kind of went off a few weeks ago about throwing our hands up in the air every time we run into this question, and somebody's working on solutions. So I'm, I'm so excited about that. But we were going to talk about design process. And when somebody was going through the design process, 
in this document. They probably just had two things that they're going to discuss, digital use and digital access. And then they're like, why on the digital use? Why and they is recognize, that divide there? So when we talk about a design process, I wanted to frame the, the next couple of questions with this. And that's empathize, define, ideate, deliver, test. When we're looking at ed tech, that's what this is actually asking us to do. When we're implementing or considering ed tech in our schools and how it affects our students and their learning. It is, but I think it's more than that, Larry, because it talks about bringing teachers into the table and having them co-design that professional learning. So I think that's a really... Like ideate? Yes, but depending on making sure you have the right people at the table. Yeah, oh, for sure. I think, I think that yeah. that's a big part of this that I don't want to get lost having so teachers. So that would be like empathizing? <laughs> yes, but <laughs> it's more than that. Just don't forget because sometimes we do. We... I, I, I agree with you entirely. But... <laughs> you're, just, you're, just, you're just picking today. <laughs> Thursday sassiness. <laughs> yes, but I just want to make sure that, that that is a big part of this one is having teachers at the table to help co-design their professional learning and having it make sense for them. One of the examples in the section even talks about having students at the table to help co-design that plan. And to that point, one of the things that we talked about last week was having a district have a portrait of a graduate. So we know how to, we know the direction in which, and we can map to what we want our learners to know at the end of their journey through our systems. One of the things that they recommend is also having a portrait of an educator and have the portrait of a graduate help define what that portrait of an educator is. And then having that define everything else. I absolutely love that start. When you look at the fact that a teacher can pull any kind of tools online. I mean, one of the stats in here says they can access more than 2,000 digital tools in a given moment. So we can no longer just train them on basic functionality of the tools. So that does require this higher mindset, this higher level. So writing all that down in your portrait of an educator and then doing the backwards lesson designing, backwards designing all of your professional learning to lead up to that portrait of an educator, that's a great, great first step to make sure that you're changing the system, that it's not just a one-off, that you have that clear vision, that clear path, and that all of your stakeholders are kind of on the same bus, you know? And what we're doing is we're walking through the recommendations for closing the design divide within the document. One of the things they also put in those recommendations is maybe who that recommendation is targeted at. So for instance, developing a portrait of an educator is kind of targeted towards the states and the districts. So some of these are high level. They might not necessarily be specifically for the teacher in the classroom, though the teacher in the classroom is going to be affected by them. This is about the entire educational system from state and federal mandates all the way down to the student in the classroom or up to the student in the classroom if we want to invert the pyramid. Did you want to touch on the portrait of an educator anymore or do you want to move on? Just a little bit more. I do want to touch on it. They gave a great example from a school unit in New Hampshire that wrote their portrait of an educator. And in being wary of what always happens when we write these policies or these guidance, they just become 
pieces of paper unless you incorporate the systems underneath them, right? So what they developed was they completely revamped their professional evaluation system. So not only do they have that portrait of an educator, but they have that system underneath. So they trained their administrators in framing the feedback in a certain way that would help the teachers grow. There are growth plans involved. There um, is some collaborative nature between teachers. Teachers have choice in naming their goals. They choose the collaborators with the goals and who will help evaluate them. And they kind of help tailor their own professional development to meet those needs. To make sure that that portrait of an educator isn't just a piece of paper, it is necessary to have those systems underneath built into your evaluation system. You should be constantly coming back to, just like we do with the portrait of a graduate, coming back to this as a touchstone for decisions we make throughout the district, but definitely with support for our educators. So number two, and you've already talked about it, design and sustain systems that support ongoing learning for new and veteran teachers and administrators, providing them the time and space needed to design learning opportunities aligned with the UDL. So we're coming back to the universal design for learning framework. And again, this is states, districts, and building-level administrators. One of these sections even talked about creating a portrait of an administrator. Mm -hmm. And I thought, again, if you are making sure everyone has that clear vision, you're all on the same path, you're all working toward those same goals, why not? Why not have that portrait of a graduate, portrait of an educator, portrait of an administrator? Everybody has their things, and they're all aligned. And then everything that you do within your culture and your costs and how do you build evidence, like it's all focused toward those three portraits. And I think that's, again, great place to start to set that vision first. So number three is implement feedback mechanisms that empower educators to become leaders and co-designers of professional learning experiences. We talked about this again before the podcast. We're lucky enough to have somebody in your position. Most districts do not. It's awesome that we have the opportunity to look at this forward-thinking document and say, okay, what does implementing some of these strategies look like for you? For me, this was or part for your or for the people that you work for with. the people that I work with. I think that um and these are broad questions. This is like, could you redesign the entire system of the district that you work in? And that's uh, that's kind of not fair, but you know, this is an opportunity to kind of think big. It is. And I think the first thing that can be done to make sure that those systems are in place is to capture the current culture. So to go out and find out where educators are at now. And there there are some great systems that you can use. There are mapping tools from Digital Promise. There are some from Project Tomorrow has that amazing speak up survey that really helps you gauge the culture, the climate, where you are right now. And then you can see where you need to move forward. That's a good place to start. UDL is really, really big. And to get everyone on board with UDL, that's got to be more than just a one and done here's how to design for access for everyone. And then everyone just goes and does it. That's not how it really works. And the, this plan does talk about this, having some really in-depth coaching cycles where you can go in and really, really continue to touch base with your teachers to make sure that they've got it, that they're understanding the processes, that they're practicing using it. That's how you make change. You make change by, like when I do professional learning, 
I need to make sure my stuff has UDL built into it because I'm modeling that. And every day, if I don't have the captions up there, I don't have, you know, accessibility built in, the teachers aren't going to do that either because they're not seeing it. It's not just a part of what they get. So I think being more mindful in, in my own practice to make sure that what I do is modeling what I would like to see the teachers do. I think that's important when you're in a role like this. And then set up the structures in place, as you were saying, where, the they could, where they can where they can come back and, again, be part of the design process so that you can test it, think about what that test said, and start to define, ideate, and deliver a more useful version of the professional development that you were trying to attempting to deliver. And if you look at the research on what makes good professional learning, it's professional learning that is sustained, so not just a standalone one-day thing. It's intensive, it's collaborative, it's job-embedded, it's data-driven, and it's classroom-focused. So making sure that everything I do as someone who delivers professional learning in this district, everything that I do needs to be active and effective and continuous and offers that feedback and reflection so that way teachers can be a part of designing their learning. It's nice to see the badging idea come back as well. That was mentioned in this section where teachers can do specific professional learning on specific skills and earn badges for them. I liked seeing that idea embedded in here again because I think that's a great way to give teachers some choice and voice in what they learn and how they learn it. It would be nice to see something like that be uniform across the education landscape. So if a teacher does earn a badge or a certificate, it will travel with them throughout their journey, their professional journey. So it's not just, oh, look what you've done for our district, but it's look what you've done as an educator. And now if I want to go to a different district or a different school, this is a, a recognized skill that I am bringing to the table. Yeah, like a certification that yep. you would get. Uh, the next thing, and this is near and dear to our heart, here we go. Provide educators and administrators with professional learning that supports the development of digital literacy skills. What? what? So that they can model these skills for students and broader school community. And this is a state, district, and building level administrators. This is including digital literacy in our professional development. Amazing. I don't even know if we need to say anything else because we've talked ad nauseum. No. On like every podcast we've ever done for six years. So, or seven years, however many years this has been. So one of the things, and this this might come up later in your list, but I think it's also relevant here. Um, this section talked a lot about calculating those costs. So making sure when you are scheduling, when you are purchasing new ed tech, that is, of course, research-based. They talk about that too. All of those things that you calculate the costs for that professional development. We need to make sure we're calculating the costs and scheduling and saving time for professional development in digital literacy. And that kind of jumps into number five. Yeah. You're 100% right. Uh, develop processes for evaluating the potential effectiveness of digital tools before purchase, including the use of research and evidence. And again, state, district, building level administrators. Are you noticing a trend in who these are targeted towards? Yeah, 
There's a lot, a lot on us. But if you look at the research, Larry, check this out. So according to a 2023 Learn Platform report, only 26 of the 100 most accessed ed tech products in K-12 classrooms during the first half of the year had published research aligned to one of the four tiers of evidence. Say in. that again. One more time. Uh, say, that, say that one more time. I don't time. want to. No, no, come on. <laughs> only 26 of the 100 most accessed ed tech products in K-12 classrooms during the first half of that year even had published research aligned to one of the four tiers of evidence. And nine out of 10 educators admit they rely on general web searches to access information about ed tech. That's a problem. That's a huge problem. But we also haven't given them the time and the professional learning on what they should be looking for and how to do that. So that's a systems change. It's not like educators don't know how to research. Right. It's this is the time that they have to do their research. 59% of them are basing their decisions on recommendations from peers, which is fine. But you can see how the problem just continues to perseverate when you don't have that training and your peers might not have that training. Even your peers say it's okay. So, I mean. So it's good for that classroom, but it's not aligning to anything that's that the district or state is doing. So, okay, again, it's a one-off, it's effective for that individual's environment, but that individual is bringing specific skills that they have. The teacher in classroom 104 might have a different set of skills, so that tool might not be effective. It's continuing to have these discussions because a lot of this is done at the administration level. So it is continuing to have those discussions and make sure that your technology has a seat at the table. We do have that. Evan is one of our cabinet level executive team. So he has a seat at the table. He's able to bring that tech perspective and kind of connect those dots up there, which is wonderful. And we do have two ed tech coaches that are helping move the needle on this and continue to connect those dots to technology and research. So it's important to have all those voices at the table. Speaking of that, number six, foster an inclusive technology ecosystem that solicits input from diverse stakeholders to collaborate on decision-making for technology purchases, learning space design, and curriculum planning. Again, states, districts, building-level administrators. This is where we get into the that real design process, starting with the end in mind. So super exciting right now. We're going through this research and development process through TCAPS with, with EdTech in particular. And we've got teachers on that committee helping make those decisions, helping advocate for what technology they want and need in their classrooms. And then there's a whole system in place where they're going to get it and they're going to be able to pilot it. And then we'll be able to come back together and use some surveys and evaluation forms to figure out what's going to happen. It's cool to see teachers have such a large voice at that table because there's a lot of money being spent. Hopefully there's a lot of money that's going to be spent to upgrade some of our classrooms and um, they're the ones who live in them. They should have a voice there. Measure it, test it, make sure it works. I think that's one of the things that maybe technology has struggled with in the past is we maybe have those discussions at the start, but there's no measurement on whether or not the technology is actually effective. It's implement, and then we don't go back and measure. It's tough because we do get into those long-term contracts, and it's it's hard to get out of if the tech isn't meeting our needs. I've been kind of thinking about that. Like, do we need to negotiate shorter contracts? Do we need to negotiate, I don't know, a way to 
get out? Do we need to just say it's it's okay that we're not using it anymore because it doesn't meet our needs? I there, there's a lot of questions there about contracts that or, I wonder or that are above least, my pay grade. Yeah. <laughs> well, or at least get as much information as we can out of the product that was purchased and how and where it's failing so that during yes. our next contract we're implementing a product that is actually meeting the need. So it's not just okay, we're starting over. We actually have some data. Yes. Uh, Sevens, support and facilitate a systemic culture that builds trust and empowers educators to enhance and grow the professional practice to meet the needs of each student. Here we go. So state, district, building level administrators. This is creating a culture. It's the badging system, too, that we talked about. It's giving them the opportunity to help design and choose what they want to learn. But a lot of it, too, is reconsidering your schedules. How are you building in time for teachers to get to this um, advanced level of using technology to shrink that divide. You have to reimagine your schedules because often we say we don't have time. We don't have time. There's no time. It's a mind shift here. And there's there's a lot of tools offered within this guide that administrators can use to get started. Take some ideas on how to build time and think creatively with your scheduling. Do you have any that you want to share? No, because they're really they're really tools that look at your specific system, and then they show you ideas of how you could build in more collaborative planning time within your system. So I think I think I think using the tools that they offer. What this is bringing up is things that are specific to targeting some of the learning goals or portrait of an educator goals that we would have. So two of the tools that they specifically recommended, leaders considering how they might reconsider time budgets within school days can find examples from the Center for American Progress's Reimagining the School Day and the Wallace Foundation's Reimagining the School Day More Time for Learning. So those would be great places to start. And finally, this is closing the loop. It's not closing the discussion. This is a design process. So number eight is regularly solicit educator feedback and evaluate professional learning efforts to ensure alignment with the portrait of an educator. So this is getting our feedback and restarting the process. So this is a nice closing of the loop when we're thinking about closing the digital divide. Yeah, if you're going to really, really dig in and maximize the potential of of ed tech to transform learning for all students, you've got to talk about and reimagine how you can transform learning for your educators. 100%. 100%. And you have to continually go back to it. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I lost it. I'm confident. And empathize. Do that. De- empathize, <laughs> define, ideate, deliver, and test. Bring the design process in. All right. Do you have anything else? That was a lot. This is a, a lot of, of work, but I think it's doable. Let's go. Let's get started. All right. Uh, do we have a tech tool of the week? Yes, Tech Tool of the Week. Um, I think if you're a listener of this podcast or you really enjoy educational podcasts, you already know that podcasts are a great place to get digestible chunks of PD on the road, uh, driving your kids to school, on your way to the mall, whatever. 
professional learning on the go via podcasts is what I want to mention today. And my favorite, my new recent favorite, is from the AEM Center. So for again, from CAST Learning, the Accessible Learning Experience podcast. And it is helping me remember accessibility in all of my design choices. So it's an amazing podcast, interviews with national, state, and local leaders. The work focuses on turning learning barriers into learning opportunities. Top tips and strategies. It's pretty phenomenal. So please check out the Accessible Learning Experience from cast.org. All right. Hey, Danielle, where can they find you online? At Brostrom DA on social. All right. You can find TCAP Sloop on LinkedIn, Facebook, the artist formerly known as Twitter, and Instagram. Rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Podbean, CastBox, Overcast, Bullhorn, or wherever else you get your ear candy. Thanks for listening and inspiring. Small moves are going to make a big difference here.